satisfied with just a cottage below a little silver and a little gold but in that city where the ransom will shine I want a gold one that silver line I got streets that are pure as gold. Don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven bound. I'm just a pilgrim in search of a city. I want a mansion a harp and a crown I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old and someday yonder we will never more wander but walk the streets that our purest gold and walk the streets that are purest gold. Amen. <laughs> Welcome, Larry. Yeah. Larry brings the bass. <laughs> so thank you so much. Amen. We have such good talent in this church, don't we? Amen. Now, now, comes, now comes my turn. <laughs> yeah, well. Well, you know what? I am really excited about what we're going to be talking about today and maybe for the next few weeks. We started it last week talking about prayer. And, uh, you know, prayer is one of these topics that it's probably, we think we talk about it a lot and we probably think we understand it a lot and uh, because it's just part of the Christian's life is prayer. But I'm learning some things about prayer that are really exciting. And I've been a Christian for a long time, or a version of a Christian for a long time. I think we all have our version of Christianity, don't we? But I think that as we continue to progress and mature, the Lord really brings us more to a true level of Christianity. And, um, and I thank the Lord for that, that he keeps bringing us into a deeper walk with him. And uh, I, I'm, so I'm excited about what the Lord is showing me about prayer today. Um, and I want to go back, as we start talking about it today, I want to go back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was picking his 12 disciples. You know, Jesus was a man that walked up to these men one at a time, and he said, hey, come follow me. I've got something for you to do. And you know, they didn't have any idea what they were getting themselves into. Quite honestly, they didn't know who Jesus was. He was just a man. He wore a robe and sandals just like they did. He had a beard and, and probably had a little B.O. and all that stuff just like they did because he was just a man. 
just, just a man. And so these men start following Jesus, and we, in our ability to look backwards, look in history and reading the Bible, we see the significance of what they were doing and who they were getting involved with, but they did not. They were going through their life living one day at a time, just like you and I are today. They had no clue really who Jesus was. They had maybe in their early years, they may have been taught, because these are Jewish men, they probably were taught about the prophecies of a Messiah coming and all that stuff, but they really didn't think it was going to happen in their day. Why would they? I mean, they were just living ordinary lives. And then this ordinary man comes up to them and says, hey, come follow me. So they probably had lots of thoughts and questions as they walked those early years with Jesus. Like, who is this guy? Really, who is he? Uh, it's just kind of interesting when you put yourself in that scenario and take off the history hat and put on the real life hat and try to imagine what they were going through when they were getting to know who this Jesus was. They didn't know that their time with Jesus was only going to be three years. They didn't know that he was going to die the kind of death that he was going to die. They didn't know that he was going to be raised from the dead after he died. They didn't know the responsibility he was going to give them as, as disciples. They didn't know the impact they were going to have on their world. They didn't know that they were going to be martyred for their beliefs. They, didn't ha they had no idea what was ahead of them. There's so much that they didn't know that all they had to go on their particular day was faith for the day. That I can get through this day and that Jesus was worth trusting in. They were learning that much from him at least. But just like our life today, we really have no idea the impact that you and I are having on our culture. There's going to come a day when we're dead and gone and people are going to look back and say, wow, that man or that woman, she or he was a godly woman or a godly man and they really impacted the culture that they lived in. They really had an impact on my life or the life of this community or the school system that they operated in and worked in for 30 years. Right, Tom? And all those things, we have no idea really the impact that we have on a day-to-day -day basis. No different than they didn't have an idea of the impact that they were going to have or that Jesus was going to have. And what's interesting to note here is that after the disciples had been with Jesus all this time and they had seen miracle after miracle, healing, Jesus healed sick people, he drove out demons, that he did so many great things on their behalf, we hear a question that Dr. Luke brought up in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And this is the question that they asked. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Can there be a more important question that these men could have asked? Now, understand that prayer was not a new idea for them. The Old Testament is full of prayers and full of prayers. Prayer was a big thing in the Jewish custom and religion. They have many examples, and we have many examples as we read through the Old Testament of the prayers and the prayers. So it may seem a little strange that they would ask Jesus that question. Jesus, teach us to pray. When their whole life in the Old Testament is full of prayers. But what do you think they saw in Jesus that caused them to ask, for, ask him to teach them to pray? 
What do you think they saw? What was different about the life of Jesus that they said, hmm, something different about this man? What is it? It must be something he's doing in prayer time. So what is it? First of all, what did the, some things that they saw, they saw the commitment that Jesus had towards prayer. I got a number of verses. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and w went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. These are just a few examples in Scripture that describe Jesus as a man of prayer. And his disciples saw it. But there must have been more to it than just them seeing Jesus praying. Something was different about his life that piqued their interest. Let's go back to Matthew 14 and see the context of this prayer. Jesus had just finished healing many people. He was preaching, teaching on a mountainside. He had just healed many people, and he ended up feeding 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So with that 5,000 men, it could have been anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people, and he did it with five loaves of bread and two fish. Open your Bible, Matthew chapter 14. Let's read this, beginning at verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, There is a remote, we are in a remote, this is a remote place. Basically, they're on the, they're on the mountainside, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls, or one per disciple, of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Notice the prayer that Jesus offered here. Simply he said, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the bread. <laughs> Not much of a prayer. He said, thank you, God. Start breaking the bread. Hang on to that point. We're going to get back to that. Not a very impressive prayer to make five loaves of bread and two fish feed 10,000 people. Not a very impressive prayer. <laughs> Let's continue on here. Then, then, a, then right after picking up the leftovers, and I've got to wonder, rabbit trail, what did they do with the leftovers? They picked up 12 basketfuls. What did they do with them? I don't know. Gave them away, I guess. Anyway, it's not the point. Jesus put the disciples in the boat after this point, and he sent them across the Sea of Galilee. So pick it up in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So now we have 
Another miracle coming. Something else is going to come here. We're going to continue to read about here. This is when Jesus walks on the water, okay? Continue on to verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now imagine yourself. Lake Michigan gets pretty gets pretty riley sometimes, doesn't it? It gets pretty wild. You know, and, and you're out there at night. Okay, they'd been, they'd been out there all night because Jesus put them in the boat early in the evening. He went up to the mountainside and spent time in prayer, and the guys were out in this boat all night long, and the waves came up, and it got pretty foggy, pretty rainy. Who knows what was going on out there? And all of a sudden, almost towards dawn, they see something walking on the water. Is that expected? What would you think if you're in the middle of Lake Michigan and you see something walking on six-foot waves? It would freak you out, wouldn't it? Yeah. See, remember, these men saw Jesus as a man. Men don't walk on water. And then Jesus says, It is I, don't be afraid. And that's where Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come on the water and let him walk to you. And that's when, Jesus, that's when Peter walked on the water too. All right, so what an amazing few hours these guys had. In a matter of 12, 15 hours, 18 hours, they saw Jesus heal thousands of people. They saw him feed thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. They saw him walk on the water. And they saw Peter walk on the water. Man, what a day. <laughs> what a day in the life of the disciples, huh? I mean, it would have just blown them away with all this. Can you just imagine their amazement? Can you just imagine it? But what can be so easily missed in the example that I'm making here is on verse 23. Verse 23 said, After Jesus dismissed the disciples, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Now, we can miss that very easily in the story of all these miracles. We can miss the fact that Jesus prayed. But I'm sure the disciples didn't miss it because they saw Jesus praying a lot. He saw, they saw him spending lots of time in quiet, private prayer. And you've got to remember, guys, this is, the, this is the key point. They saw Jesus as a man more than a God. They didn't see him as the Son of God. They didn't see him as somebody that came out of heaven. They saw him as a man. They saw his humanity more than we can imagine. I don't want to get too crass here, but they saw Jesus shave. They saw him get a haircut. They saw him or wished he would bathe more, maybe. They saw his feet get dirty. They saw him eat. They saw him sleep. They witnessed all his bodily functions. I mean, he was a man. On all humanity, he was a man. But yet there was something different about him that they saw in Jesus because they asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, notice here that the, that the disciples did not ask him. They did not say, Jesus, teach us how to heal the sick. Jesus, teach us how to feed the 5,000 people. Jesus, teach us how to walk in water. Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons. Jesus, teach us to get wisdom. 
They didn't ask him any of those questions, the things that they would see in their physical mind, in a physical way. They didn't see any. All they asked him was, Jesus, teach us how to pray. There's something powerful about prayer now if that's what these guys are asking. They must have seen something different in their prayer life of Jesus that was the difference maker in his life. Now let me ask you some questions. What do you think Jesus was praying about when he spent so much time in prayer? What do you think he was saying? What do you think he was praying to the Father about? Why do you think Jesus felt it so necessary to spend so much time in prayer? How do you think he prayed? I mean, these are some good questions. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about what was Jesus saying when he was praying? Well, these are some really good questions. And I started to ask the Lord these questions this week and as I've been studying about prayer. And, you know, I think the Lord dropped a little nugget in my heart, and I hope I can share it today in a way that makes sense. Because until we understand why and how and what to pray for, we will always have a struggle in our life about prayer. Until I get it, until it becomes revelation knowledge to me as to why am I praying, how am I praying, what's the purpose of my prayer, I will struggle with it because it's not natural. Ever since the fall, sin got in the way and disrupted and destroyed, not just disrupted, destroyed the relationship between man and God. In the, in, we talked about it last week or the, the week ago when we talked about prayer that in the garden, it was a perfect communication. God created communication between man and him to be perfect. And then sin got involved. Let me try to imagine with you what Jesus was praying for. Because it's so much more than just a memorized prayer. So much more than just, Lord, I lay myself down to sleep. Or the simple prayers that we pray in root when we pray for dinners or our food. Not that it's not important that we pray, but it's a much more, there's much more to it. Can I suggest here that the most basic reasons that Jesus prayed was to have an unhindered relationship with his Father. I think prayer is all about relationship. Now let's think this, let's dig into this a little bit more. It's all about relationship. When Jesus was praying, he was praying about relationship. What was his relationship with his Father? Well, let's go to the Bible. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Then later in that same chapter of five of John, chapter 5, Jesus says, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but do the will of him who sent me. Are you catching the drift? John chapter 12, verse 49. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Are you seeing the relationship 
that Jesus had with his father? John chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. You have given him. Now this is eternal life. <laughs> this is eternal life. Jesus defines it right here. That they know you. Relationship. Eternal life is relationship that they would know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was all about relationship with his Father. That's what it is. That's what prayer is. Relationship. It's communicating it's relationship. Jesus understood his position and his relationship with his Father as a man. Listen to me. He understood it as a man, not as God. At this time in his life, he is fully 100% man. And Jesus understood his relationship to his Father as a man. Very important for us to get this. If we're going to have a relationship with God, we need to recognize that Jesus had the same type of relationship that we have as a man. The reason that Jesus spent so much time in prayer was to develop this relationship and to grow it. He had to spend time with his Father to grow this relationship as a man. It's in these times of intimate prayer that Jesus was able to hear his Father's heart. He had to learn obedience he had to wait on his father to say, Father, what do you want me to do today? He had to ask him, Father in heaven, what do you want me to do for you today? We have a misnomer, I believe, thinking that Jesus was just automatically in tune. Jesus had a free will, just like you and I have a free will. And Jesus had to exercise his free will to ask for wisdom. And to ask my Father in heaven, how do I live that I don't hinder my prayer life with you? Nothing is so important that could hinder my life, my prayer life. Jesus is our example, and we are to follow in his steps. For prayer, for us, is the same as it was for Jesus. That we are to be developing and growing our relationship with our Heavenly Father, just as Jesus was doing. Now, that helps me know my purpose in prayer. That gives me more of a desire to spend time alone with Jesus. Because I want that relationship. I want it. And it helps me to turn TV off. It helps me to get up early in the morning and come on over here by myself where I can just me and Jesus, me and the Father, me and the Holy Spirit. It can help me when I'm on my bus driving to pray in the Spirit. It can help me when I'm through my day to say, ah, oh, God, I need a little fresh touch. Oh, I love it. Now, let's talk about how Jesus prayed publicly. We saw a little bit how he prayed privately. How did Jesus pray publicly? Turn in your Bible to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 41. We see an example. This is when Jesus is going to pray 
and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Pretty big miracle here, taking some man that has been dead for three or four days, smelly, stinky, already deteriorating in the tomb, and Jesus is going to bring him back to life. So we've got to expect a big prayer here. Come on, this has got to be, this has got to be impressive. This has got to impress all the people listening that how impressive Jesus is at praying. Let's read it. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Come on, Jesus, where's the impressive prayer? Seriously, is that it? That's it? Well, when did his father hear him pray? It said, I knew that you always hear me. Well, Jesus hasn't even prayed yet. What is happening here, folks, is that Jesus is so prayed up he prayed so much privately that when it came to public prayer, he just said, Father, I know you heard me. Now let's get it done. Now let's get after it. That's cool. That's it. That's why prayer is so important. That's why relationships so important privately so that when it comes to public prayer, I don't have to impress anybody with my prayer time because I'm so prayed up already. You see, so many times... We pray so that people can hear us pray. We pray because it gives us an audience, gives us a platform. The only platform I need to have, the only audience I need to have is with my audience with my Father. When I have that audience, expect something to happen. Jesus knew that it was God's will to raise Lazarus from the dead because Jesus had already prayed about it. And he was in such a relationship with God over his prayer time that he knew God's plan before he ever walked into the public venue. Now, I don't think that God, I don't know, let me be careful here, I don't know what God told Jesus. But I don't think because if Jesus is like you and I, which he is, I don't think that Jesus knew that he was necessarily going to raise Lazarus. I don't know when Jesus was having his prayer time that the Lord was filling him up. I don't know exactly what was being said there. All I can imagine was that Jesus was saying, Father, whatever's going to happen today, I want to do your will. Whatever it is, I want to be lined up with you right now. I want to get my will lined up with your will so that when I walk out of this place of prayer that I'm walking according to your will and so that what I pray for is according to your will and not my will so that I know that it will be done. That's the secret of prayer. Not that we line up ourselves with all of our desires, make our little prayer lists out, not to say that's bad, but I'm just saying that I think sometimes I think we get maybe we wrongly prioritize prayer that it's not necessarily about God telling me, it's not my wish list, it's not like sitting on Santa Claus's lap, but it's like saying, Jesus, Father, God, give me a relationship with you so that I know your will. So that I know your will. When I spend time praying about my relationship with God first, then I can line myself up with his will so that I can then begin to do the things that he wants to have done. Make sense? 
Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So that puts us in position of relationship with God the Father, just like Jesus was in relationship as Father and Son. And when I can understand my position and my standing, that I am truly a son or a daughter of God, then I can pray accordingly. Then I can pray with that relationship. And I can have success and fulfillment in my prayer life. Think about how important relationships are. Think about how important a good relationship is. You see, if I have relationships that are stressful with people, if I'm not keeping myself in good relationship with people, then it's awkward when I come into their presence. Then it's awkward when I need something from them. <laughs> if I don't have a good relationship with someone, I really can't ask them too much, can I? I really can't go to them and say, hey, would you do me a favor? <laughs> awkward. <laughs> come on, we know that. I, I don't have position. I'm not in relationship. I don't have the right mojo going here between them that I can ask them for, any, for much. But when I have relationship, but when I'm in good standing with someone, then I can go to my brother and I can say, hey, man, I'm in a little bit of a bind. Would you help me out? And I don't have to feel bad about that. And I know they're going to say, absolutely, let's go. That's it. And it's the same thing. I can share my concerns. I can share my fears. I can trust them with my emotions. I can trust them with my hurts. I can trust them with my, the pain of my life. And I can say things to them that I can know they're not going to use against me later because I have relationship with those people. That's the reason that Jesus prayed relationship, relationship, relationship. Prayer is about me spending time with God and keeping my relationship with God fresh and alive. Understand the reason that Jesus came in the first place was to fix a broken relationship between man and God. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's why Jesus died for one reason, to bring you to God, to bring me to God. He was, he was, Jesus was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit for one reason, to make relationship, to fix the broken relationship that man had with God. So God's desire is for us to have a relationship with him that only can come through Jesus Christ, his son. That's it. That's the most important thing we can have, and thus it should be the most important thing we pray for. That, that after we've accepted Christ as our Savior, now, now we make Him our Lord. Now we go to the next step and say, now that you're my Savior, now I'm going to give you ownership. I'm going to call you Lord. And I'm going to give you ownership of my life. And when I do that now, I can ask Him to guide me. I can ask Him to help me so that I don't wander off in anything that would hinder this relationship. You see, once you've got a relationship with somebody, why would you go and blow it? Why would you go purposely and offend that person you have a relationship with? Why would you go over there and do something to hinder that relationship? Once you have a good relationship, isn't it easier to maintain it than to break it and then try to fix it again? Because you all know that 
It takes a lifetime to build trust and an instant to break it. And then to try to build trust again, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort once it's broken. So once you have a relationship, live in a way to protect it. It just makes sense. This is just logical sense. And it's the same thing with Christ. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. Because God is a holy God and he's a just God and he cannot have relationship with anything that's unholy or unjust. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves and be, say it, holy. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. He can make us holy because he's holy. Therefore, if we're going to have relationship with him, we need to be holy. So now that you get saved, you're, that's great, that's day one. Now, consecrate yourself and stay holy. Live a life of holiness. If my relationship is going to be strong with God, then I need to live a life that doesn't hinder this relationship. And I know this is where sometimes people get a little bit offended when you get into the Christian world that truly is truly preaching a gospel message. Because so many times we want to say, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and that's all that matters, and I can live any way I want to live. God loves me. Well, that's not much of a relationship. So if that's the relationship that you're on, why do you think your prayers are going to be powerful? Seriously. If, if you and I don't have a good relationship, and if you come to me and ask to borrow my car... Do you really expect me to borrow, lend you my car? But if we had a good relationship, you say, hey, Mike, I'll say, not only can I have, you can have my car, but I'll drive it for you. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the nth degree to help you. I'll even put gas in it for you because, I, because, we're, because we're good. And that's the Jesus relationship that we're supposed to have. And that's why prayer is about relationship. It's not about gimme, gimme, gimme. I've heard it said, I can go to God and I can pray in 15 minutes, I can give him my, my wish list. And so then what's, what's the point? Do I just keep repeating my wish list? Not much of a relationship. But you know what? I can go before God and I can go when, I, when if my heart there is to develop and maintain relationship, I can go before him and I can spend what I think is 15 minutes and that's actually an hour and a half. I got some praise music going. It's just me and the Lord and I'm just sitting here basking. And that's why, you know what, last Sunday we had a really, really nice time of prayer in the altar. We just, we just took some time. We just took some time. And we said, God, we're not going to rush through the service today just to get the service over to get on to the next agenda item. We're going to spend time. Relationships take time. They take effort. They take intentionality. They take a purpose. That's what we need to do. We need to live a life that invites that. Jackie, would you come? And you can start winding me down. I'll tell you, folks, all we need to do is focus on relationship. You go into your prayer closet and you just start worshiping him. You start telling him how good he is, how much you appreciate him, how much you appreciate the freedoms that we have in this country, how much we appreciate the time that we have, that he's given us a breath, and he's given us a mind to think. And he's given us a heart that we can appreciate good things with. 
And I start to live that way. I start to do that way. And all of a sudden, the battles of my life, not so big. Because God works on my behalf. He goes before me. And he leads me through the power of his will. And when I start praying according to God's will, watch out. Because prayers are going to get answered. People are going to be set free. <laughs> Demons are going to flee. People are going to get healed. We're going to have a fullness of life because that's the will that God has for us. When I pray in God's will, I'm praying prayers that he's going to answer. I'm not trying to convince them of my will. No, I'm saying, God, I just want your relationship. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. This has been a confusing verse for me a long time, but I'm hearing it different today. It says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. How in the world can I be perfect? I'm such a sinner. I mean, I've made so many mistakes. But what he's saying to be perfect in is in relationship. <laughs> I can be forgiven and I can be perfect because he doesn't see me as a man of sin anymore. He sees me as a man covered by the blood of Christ. And as I live to protect that relationship, I therefore can be perfect. You can be perfect. Now, what's so encouraging about this type of a message is that you don't have to be a super apostle. You don't have to be Superman. You just have to be who you are. And you just need to come into relationship with Jesus the way you are. And you just come into prayer time just as you do and don't be anybody besides you. You just come and say, Jesus, I want relationship. I want it uniquely. Because there's not two people here that have the same relationship with each other. Now, a lot of people can have relationship with Jeannie. But my relationship with Jeannie is different than Greg's relationship with Jeannie is, or Chad's is, right? We all have unique relationships. We don't have to be like somebody else to have a good relationship with Jeannie. Mine's different. It should be different. But it's got to be pure. It's got to be true. It's got to be authentic. It can't be hindered. So God's not saying you guys all have to be like Billy Graham or anybody else. No, you just be like Max or Nancy, or Chris, or anybody else. You just be you, come to me, and let's build relationship. Father, I just come to you. Father, there's nothing more that I want right now, and I pray that I would have that same desire tomorrow morning and Wednesday morning. And Thursday night, one of my favorite TV shows on, that my desire is relationship with you. And that I would put all these things beside that. I would never let anything get in the way of my priority to have an unhindered relationship with you. That's what I want. That's what you desire. Forgive me, Father, for the times that I failed in that. Forgive me, Jesus, for the times that I haven't been perfect in that. Make me perfect in relationship with you. Give me the power of relationship with you. Let this church be powerful in relationship with you. Let this be the thing that makes us different. Like 
the disciples saw you as different, Jesus, because of the relationship that you had with your Father. And when you had that relationship, everything was different. You were different. We want to be different for the right reasons. We want relationship. So, Father, I pray right now for everyone here in this church that we would grasp that, that we would glean that, that we would make it our prayer. It's simple to do. It just takes effort. It just takes intentionality. It just takes commitment. But we all can do it. We all can do it. And I pray that this is accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? And could we just sing the song that Jackie's playing as a time that we would just honor the Lord and we would just reach out and say, Relationship, Jesus. Father, we just give you this time. And Lord, I know that we have to move on today. I know we have things to do in our lives. Father, I pray that this peace, this relationship would just go with us as it went with Jesus. Jesus, didn't, he wasn't a monk. He didn't spend all his time by himself. No, he prayed. And then he went out into the world. And that's exactly what we're to do. We pray, we get our relationship right, and we go out into the world. And then we're powerful. And so I pray power in the name of Jesus for everyone in this building today. 
that we pray, we build up our relationship, but then we go and we get and we do your will and we move in and we accomplish things that people would say, what is different about you? What is different about your life? And you say, it's prayer. It's relationship. I pray this. I release it. I pray prophecy over these people today. I pray it prophetically over these people today that we would leave and be powerful in the name of Jesus, that we would have a desire for an unhindered relationship with you, and then that we would move in it and operate in it and live in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go into the world today and be, be life changers. In Jesus' name.